Pastors must be ready to answer difficult questions. Sometimes even ones that have a life-changing answer. And on the other side of the world, pastors literally have to be trained on how to answer a question I can't even imagine being asked. In parts of the world where it is deadly to be a Christian, new Christians who are about to be baptized will ask their pastor, Where will I be buried? And they ask that question for two reasons. First, is because they will, after publicly declaring their love for Jesus, they will be excommunicated from their family. They will not be able to be buried with everyone else. And they ask that question for a second reason, and that is because they know full well there is a good chance that they will die for their faith. So they ask their pastors, when I obey Jesus, where am I going to be buried? So I ask you this question. Why would anyone choose to follow Jesus if that's the result? And for a lot of the world, that is the result. As we look at the book of Hebrews, why should they keep following Jesus even if it means imprisonment and suffering? Why should they not just give up and go back? What about you? Why should you not give up and go back? The whole book of Hebrews gives us the answer. It's that Jesus is greater. And where we are going to be this morning, we see that for the believer, the best is yet to come because of Jesus. That is why those people will be baptized even if it means death. So that is what we're going to look at this morning. The best is yet to come because of Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these verses and then we will pray for God's help. So this is Hebrews chapter 2 verses 5 to 9. It will be up there on the screen, but I always encourage you, open your Bibles, have it in front of you. So this is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. But someone somewhere has testified What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. But we do see Jesus. Made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. 
crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Let us pray. God, I pray that you will help us. That as we look at your word, you Holy Spirit will help us to stand amazed and be undone at who you are and what you have done and what is to come. Jesus, I pray, help me. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we are in Hebrews. I always like to give a quick review before I move on. So in chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is greater than the angels. And it really zones in on Jesus' deity, that he is God. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which Andrew looked at last week, the first of several scary passages, we looked at how that's who Jesus is, so don't neglect your great salvation because there's punishment for it. And then what our verses do today is they wrap up the conversation on drifting and neglecting. It focuses in on humanity and it shifts to look at Jesus. And you will see next week with Andrew a focus on Jesus' humanity and how he is still greater than anything. So that's kind of how it works. This, the, these few verses finish up a conversation and start a new one. So it's a transition passage. So, this is where we are. Verse 5. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. It sounds like this writer in Hebrews is doing what I often do to Allison on accident. And what I do on accident is I start a conversation in my mind and then I finish it out loud to Allison. So, I ask her a question like she has the full context of something of which she doesn't. So it'll be like, uh, so what, you know, we're going to go to Berg 25 at 6? And she's like, what are you talking about? I didn't give her the first half. That I didn't defrost the meat by accident. Um, so it seems like that's what he's doing here. Because he says, he hasn't subjected to angels the world to come that we're talking about. But if you look at chapter 1, in the first four verses of chapter 2, you don't say, see him mentioning a world to come. So you're thinking, are we missing something? But look at that first word in verse 5. The first word, maybe depending on your translation, 4 points back to the last four verses. What's the first four verses of chapter 2 all about? Not neglecting our great salvation. That word salvation, we often, for good reasons, think of how it is about us being saved from hell. And that is what salvation is by God's grace. But salvation means a lot more than just being saved from hell. This is how one pastor put it. The glory of walking into heaven is more marvelous than walking out of hell. Salvation is we are walking out of hell because Jesus died. But it is also us walking into eternity with God. So this world to come is the new heaven and new earth. And this is where we will physically live with God forever 
in a new heaven, new earth that God has created after Jesus returns to judge and make all things new. So that is the world to come. So again, with with that in mind, let's look at verse 5. He is not subjected to angels, the world to come. He's looking at mankind, which means if you have believed in Jesus in some way, we are going to have some kind of authority, rule, and reign in this new heaven and new earth. Which is quite remarkable when you think about it. The angels don't rule or reign. We will. You are not just another part of creation. When God created the world, it wasn't just like, we got some trees, we got some people, you know, we got these things. You weren't an afterthought in God's mind, in God's creation. He created you specially and specifically. We get things that the rest of creation doesn't. You might feel like an afterthought. You're not. Verse 5 is like if a mother were to tell their kid, don't spoil dinner because steak is on the menu. That's kind of what the writer is doing here. He's saying, don't neglect this great salvation because the best is yet to come. If someone tells me steak is on the menu, I'm not eating the rest of the day. I'm ready to go town on that, uh, that steak. But, but this is what the writer in Hebrews is doing. He's saying, don't neglect your great salvation. Don't drift because the best is yet to come. Why is what's best to come? I don't think I phrased that right. Why is what's to come best? There we go. How often do you think about heaven? It's really easy to become so focused on everything that's happening here that we don't give much thought on what's coming. Let's look at two verses quickly so we can think about this world to come. See, if you get this, you will work hard at not neglecting your great salvation and drifting. This is Revelation 21. We're going to start in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. I don't know what's weighing on you. But I want us to remember this. Friend, are you tired of your struggle with sin? Falling and getting back up again? I want you to hear this. The best is yet to come. Do you lie awake at night, terrified of death? Friend, The best is yet to come. Have you had your greatest hopes and dreams taken away from you? 
friend, the best is yet to come. Are you sick with no hope of ever getting better? Friend, the best is yet to come. Do you have a conflict in your family that's tearing everyone apart? Friend, the best is yet to come. This is why what's to come is best. There will be no grief, no sin, no death, no pain, no conflict. This is what's to come. And you know what the kicker is? This isn't even why what's to come is best. Look at the verse before in verse 3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. The best part about what's to come is that God is there. The best part will be looking Jesus in the eyes and knowing in an instant the fight from drifting was worth it. I don't make many promises up here, but I promise you this. No Christian is going to look in the eyes of Jesus and say it wasn't worth it. That is the best part of what's to come. Listen, verse 5 is saying angels don't have what we have. They don't get the great salvation. They do not get sweet intimacy with the creator of the universe. The new heaven and the new earth will not be subjected under them. Angels don't get the sweet, difficult joy found in a life running after Jesus through heartbreak, fear, sin, and doubt. Angels don't get the greater joy waiting in the world to come after they finish the race. That, that's not angels, that's us. Angels don't get this. And this has become one of my, my favorite verses. 1 Peter 1.12 It was revealed to them, this is the Old Testament prophets, all the people you read about in the Old Testament. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Real quick. Everything you see in the Old Testament, they were longing for the great salvation we have and we understand as much as we can understand on this side of heaven. They spent, sacrificed their lives to point to this message. And look at verse 12. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. We're fascinated by angels. We're fascinated by the supernatural and what's happening where we can't see. You know what angels are fascinated by? The gospel. By what God has been doing since creation. Love your great salvation. Because people in the Old Testament 
longed for what we have and angels longed to even get a glimpse, try to understand what we have and what we experience. Love your great salvation. You know how you keep from drifting? Many things. But it is a love for God and the salvation he has provided. Why would you give this up? As we think about the world to come, my mind goes to Romans 8.18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Friends, whatever's keeping you up at night, whatever dream has been taken away from you, whatever is weighing on you, You can't even compare it to how sweet it will be when you look Jesus in the eyes. Don't neglect your great salvation. So that is verse 5. Now, in Hebrews 2, 6 to 8, what happens is he quotes Psalm 8. And this psalm is David writing and David is looking at the authority God has given man over creation yet also under God. I love the first verse here. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You were not just another part of God's creation. You are His special creation. The only ones made in His image. You're not an afterthought. And as I read what David writes here, I think of my favorite line in any song. This line says, Help me, Jesus. I know what I am. I know what I am. I am a rebel who is worthy of not even one bit of God's grace. I know what I am. A rebel who will drift and neglect my great salvation so easily. I know what I am. So who am I that God remembers me and cares for me? Who are you that God remembers you and cares for you ultimately in sending his son to save you? Help me, Jesus. I know what I am. Verse 8. The second part, the last part of verse 8. After the psalm is quoted, he's pointing to, look, God has made man to have authority, rule, and reign over creation, yet also under God. And he says, For in subjecting everything to him, putting everything under man, he left nothing that is not subject to him. And the next part shows that this writer was not separated from reality. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. You know this just as well as I do. This psalm is not fully fulfilled yet because we are under sin and death. We are under all the consequences of sin. 
We feel that every day. I want to take a moment just to think on this. For the believer, the best is yet to come because this psalm will be fulfilled. We will be with Jesus ruling and reigning in this new heaven and new earth. But for those who reject Jesus, this is the best. The worst is yet to come. And I want you to listen to me carefully. By reject, I don't just mean those who are atheists or agnostic or who follow another God and another religion. By reject Jesus, there are people who say they are Christians but do reject Jesus. If you look at the statistics of Christians worldwide, the number is a lie. Because there are many people who say they are Christians, that they believe in Jesus, yet they would reject what Hebrews 1 and 2 says. That Jesus physically came, he physically died, he physically rose from the dead to save us from our sin if we believe in him. There are people that would say, yes, I'm a Christian. They mark off that box, but they reject these essential truths to be a Christian. I have talked to many people like that. I have read many stories of people like that. But I reject Jesus. People could say, yes, I, I believe in Jesus, but they are not saved. Or there are people that might mentally hold to these truths, but whose lives, they're rejecting Jesus. James talks about how demons know these things to be true, yet they are not saved. Salvation is seeing your need before God, seeing what Jesus did on your behalf on the cross, trusting in Jesus to save you because you want Him. There are Two illustrations illustrate that many people live like this is the best and it's heartbreaking. It was about a month ago a man committed suicide in Washington, D.C. by setting himself on fire. And he did this to send a message to the government to take environmental issues seriously. That's heartbreaking. But what is at the root of that action? It was because he believed that this is it. This is what's best. There's nothing else coming. When you look at scripture, what Jesus says, and you look at things in light of eternity, do you know what is just as heartbreaking? The person who spends their entire life focused on making their lives as comfortable as possible. The root of how they're living is the same. They believe this is what's best. So I must work hard, focus on whatever, so that this is comfortable for my 80 years of existence. Same root for both people. I want us to understand the best is not here 
It is to come if you have believed in Jesus. So that is verse 5, verses 6 to 8. Now, verses 9, we see the best is yet to come because of Jesus. I love this first part. But we do see Jesus. I love that. Look, there are these promises and they haven't been fulfilled yet and we feel the weight of them. We feel the weight of being under sin and death and all the consequences of sin. But friend, we see Jesus. This psalm not only looks to mankind and what's to come, but it also points to Jesus and how he completely fills this, fulfills this psalm and this promise because he is the God-man who was made lower than the angels. He was exalted and all things are under him currently. He fulfills this promise and he makes the way so that it can be fulfilled for those who believe in Jesus. Look to Jesus. So we looked at the best is yet to come. We're going to look at the best is yet to come because of Jesus just for a couple moments. So this is verse 9. Look there, just the first part. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. What this means is he was still fully God, but he had a mortal body and could suffer and die. I want you to see this. Jesus, equal with God in heaven, made himself lower than the angels to come here as a man to suffer and die for people that would hate him and reject him. He suffered and died. He lowered himself to save people he knew were going to drift and neglect the great salvation he gave everything up to give us. He did that for you And if you think he went that far to have you in his family, do you think he will suddenly stop wanting and doing what's best for you? If he went this far to have you in his family, do you think he's suddenly going to say, too far, I don't don't love him anymore. I don't want him. No. You're not in afterthought. Just two real quick side points that aren't directly in here. As we think about what Jesus has done for us, the key to seeing yourself is first through God. You must see him as mighty, worthy of fear. And that kind of keeps you from puffing yourself up like we are all often guilty of doing. Yet he came here to save you and that keeps you from self-loathing. The other side note real quick, Philippians 2 is just beautiful explaining how Jesus made himself lower than the angels. And right before it, it says, hey, you're supposed to be like this. Humble yourself and consider others as more important. Those are two side notes. We're going to keep moving. But Jesus was lowered. If he wasn't lowered, there would be no best to come because we would die in our sins. The best is yet to come because Jesus was lowered. Look at the second part of verse 9. We do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. So that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus dying on the cross, that was God pouring out his grace for you. 
And a side note, when it says he tasted death, that is a poetic, say, a poetic way of saying he experienced death. He was crushed on the cross. And when it says for everyone, I want to make it clear, it does not mean that Jesus died on the cross so everyone just automatically saved. We're all guilty, only saved by trusting in Jesus and how he tasted death. So, those were two side points. Even if this was the only reason listed in all of Hebrews and all of Scripture, Jesus would still be greater than everything. Even if you took out everything else, Jesus would still be greater than everything because he tasted death for you. Listen, many things may temporarily delay death, but death cannot be stopped. Nothing here can stop the spiritual death coming for those who reject Jesus. Many things put it on pause, many things delay it, but nothing stops it. Except Jesus tasting death and rejection so you don't have to. Have you ever faced abandonment and rejection from a loved one? It keeps you up at night. Jesus faced rejection from his Father to save you. This is what Mark 15, 34 says. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus suffered rejection from his Father for you because the offensive sins of those who would believe in him were placed on him. He became sin. He died, faced rejection, so you don't have to face the second death. And this is why Christians throughout church history could, on their way to being burned at the stake, they could still sing hymns praising God. Why? Because they knew Jesus tasted death. So I don't have to face the second death. Because of Jesus' death, the best is yet to come for those who believe. Without Jesus' death, there would be no best to come. We would still be under death, sin, and God's wrath. So we have the best is yet to come because Jesus lowered himself. Because he tasted death. And here we have, because he was crowned with glory and honor. Because he suffered death. That's the last part of verse 9. He crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. We talked about this literally like a month ago. We talked about Jesus' resurrection and what that means for you and me. Jesus physically rose from the dead, physically rose to be with God forever. And he was placed there with God by his side, ruling over all. Here, here's just a couple of things. Why, why does that matter? It means he's greater and above the thing keeping you up at night. I want to make it clear. Jesus being greater and above the thing keeping you up at night doesn't mean your worst nightmare won't happen. It might you might get that phone call at 2 in the morning that you dread. You might get that text that you have been so afraid of. You might never reconcile with that person. 
It doesn't mean that those things won't happen. But him being above and greater than everything means he's over it. He's working in it and he's using it. You see here that his exaltation came because he suffered death. So then why would it be any different for you and me? It was suffering and then exaltation. Being crowned with glory and honor. That's the way it is, friend, for us. And as you think about the Hebrews who were being imprisoned and they were suffering, that's the way it is for us. We suffer here and we work to not drift and and we keep running the race. Exaltation comes after the suffering and that would have been encouraging for these Christians because it would have been like the writer saying, hey, it's normal. Jesus suffered. Keep going, friend. So here we have the best is yet to come. We have the best is yet to come because Jesus lowered himself knowing he was going to be risen up on a cross because he tasted death because he is glorified after suffering death. Which by the way means the battle has been won so you don't need to fear death and sin. Well, we struggle with it. We, we feel overwhelmed and crushed by it. The battle has been won. So you don't fight or run in vain. When you look in the history books and you know the outcome of the battle, it affects how you read how it all went down. As you think about Jesus dying, rising again, the whole battle being won as we live here and fight It affects how we do it because we know in the end Jesus wins. Sin, death, no more. So, what do we do with all of this? Obviously, we, we stand amazed. We're undone by who Jesus is and what he has done. But what do we do with this? The best is yet to come. So, how do I live here? That's what we're going to look at now. What now? If you are a believer, you are a part of something bigger than yourself. You're a part of something that God has been doing since the beginning of all time. He is making all things new, all things right. You're a part of that. The best is yet to come, which means if you have believed in Jesus, you must live like that is true. Living for the sake of others in light of the best that is to come. That means you, friend, live for what matters when Jesus comes back. Sacrificially living for those who are far from Jesus and for those whom we will spend eternity with in the world to come. That's what we're doing. Sacrificially living for the world to come. I figured in our last moments, we will look at 1 Peter 4. So 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. So right before this, he was talking about judgment and sin. And this is what he says. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. So if you were talking to a fellow Christian and you were telling them, Jesus is coming back soon, the end of all things is near, what would you tell them? Well, look what he tells these Christians and us. He says, the end of all things is near. 
the best to come, it's coming. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Do you find that striking? That he says, Jesus is coming back. Everything's wrapping up, people. And what does he tell them to do? Pray. Have people in your home. Keep loving each other. Use the gifts God has given you to serve the church and those that don't know Jesus. Speak God's word. Use the strength God has given you in everything you do. Make it all about showing who God is. Friend, you can do that. Like so often we look at the Christian life and it feels like this this big thing like, I, I can't do that. You can do this. You can lovingly open your home and have people over for dinner just to get to know them and connect with them, especially those far from Jesus. Uh, There was a professor who wrote a book that says the gospel comes with the house key, which is basically the point. Best time to share the gospel is at home, in front of a meal, talking. You can do that. Are you bad at cooking? Maybe. Go get a pizza. ShopRite has great cheap frozen pizzas that are very good. I would encourage you to get them. Right? Like, don't let... Maybe some skills you don't have keep you from doing this. And it doesn't say like, you know, if you can, it says be hospitable. Whatever that looks like and how God has placed you. Invite people over to your home for a meal. Keep loving each other. Which, by the way, means keep loving them if they have hurt you deeply and never ever work to reconcile with you. And never respond to your attempts to reconcile with them. Loving with this constant love that covers a multitude of sins doesn't mean giving up. It doesn't mean gossiping about them. Finding everything you can to keep being angry at them. Use the gifts God has given you. Be alert, serious about prayer. A friend, you can do these things. Right? We all can. And I'm not saying this is easy. It's hard to keep loving people when they have hurt you deeply. It's hard having people over for a meal. It can be uncomfortable. It's hard to pray. It's hard to use the gifts God has given us because it's sometimes very scary and usually it means getting out of our comfort zone. It's hard glorifying Jesus in everything we do. I'm not saying this is easy. It's hard. It's sacrificial. You're going to fail many times. But I want you to see you can do this. We can all as a church do this. The end is near, friend. 
So be faithful and intentional in the small things. You want to know a way that you can just get started? Start taking prayer seriously. Pray humbly, honestly, and hopefully. You want to be serious and, and, and where do I start? Invite someone to a meal. Be intentional asking them questions. If you don't have people, that, that unsaved people that you can invite to your home or you know, talk to about Jesus, pray that God would provide people so you can do that. I have prayed that prayer, not as faithfully as I should, but I have, and God answers, sometimes in weird ways. Someone at the laundromat, or someone walking down the street, someone sitting on the steps outside. That happened before. Be serious about these simple but sacrificial things. The best is yet to come, friend, because of Jesus. So sacrificially live like it. It is worth it. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you that we do not have false hope but real hope secured by what you have done for us. I pray, Lord, for anyone here that does not know you, I pray that they will put their trust in you. Lord, I pray that New Life Church will be a church of people who lives for what's to come, keeps loving, keeps praying, keeps having people over at their homes, keeps making everything about you. Jesus, do that in my heart. Do that in us. I thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Connor said a lot of really good things today. He said one thing that really concerned me. He says to pray, so we should pray for him, but I can tell he was a South Philly guy. He was telling us that we can get good pizza at ShopRite. It's frozen. (laughs) I don't know. That concerns me. (laughs) But he had a lot of good things to talk about, a lot of things to convey to us today. I don't know about where you guys are and things, but I'm a main course person. When it comes to a meal, I kind of like the main course. So the appetizer is great. Dessert is okay. But I want the main course. That's the, that's the key thing I'm looking for. But in Minnesota, there was an elderly woman, woman in our church, and, and she was telling me one day, and this happens as you're a pastor, as sometimes older people will come up and have a conversation with you, and they'll tell you things like, like, this is what I want at my funeral. Like, it's not always a conversation you want to have, but they have that conversation with you. And she said, and like, when, when, when you go to my funeral and stuff, I want them to put a fork in my hand. In the casket, I want them to put a fork in my hand because she was not a main course person. She was a dessert person. And what she wanted to communicate as you would have that fork in her hand as her worldview was, listen, I'm gone, but the best is coming. That was her viewpoint. And it's really, really cool. And I appreciate, as Connor's talked about that, he said that many, many times, the best is yet to come. God loves us like crazy. Loves us like crazy. And sometimes in the flow of life, we lose sight of that. We just lose sight of that. We, get, we lose sight of it in the grind of work. We lose sight of it when we pull up to get gas and it's $4.65. We can go nuts thinking... 
Life is crazy. Life is nuts. We can ask questions about God. Where in the world are you? My checking account is hitting zero, and all these other things going around me are costing me like crazy. And we have this tendency to think that God is forgotten, God is overlooked, and I am neglected. And we're being reminded that you are important to God. Hold on to him. And the best is yet to come. So how do you hold on to a fork every day? How do you live anticipating every day? That's the challenge. Well, we're going to receive our offering in a moment. I just want to remind you, if you're a guest or you have something you want to communicate, you can fill this out, place it in the offering plate. If you're a guest with us today the first time, out that door near the entrance where most of us came in, someone will be there. They have a gift for you. Um, One of the interesting things that's taking place in our world today is we need to bring a bag to go grocery shopping. We'll have a bag for you to take, and so you can take advantage of that. But let's have a word of prayer, and we'll ask the Lord to... Bless the balance of our time and send us off well.